Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. the studios of the Modern School of Film. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, the top of the sandbox. Singer, writer, artist. Brandon Boyd is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film with you on Murmur Radio. M-U-R-M-U-R-Radio.com. You can download the show anytime access. It's so simple. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Murmurradio.com. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Subscribe. Follow us on social handles at MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram. If you have a subject you would like me to track and trace and explore and expand on the show, email me directly, murmurradio, one word, at gmail.com. Send me a subject. I will match your subject with a guest. And I don't have to bring you on the show to chat. I'd love to if you're curious, hint, hint. <laughs> but I won't put you on the spot. Murmurradio at gmail. Murmur Radio. Welcome. Welcome back. On Murmur Radio, it's one subject, one guest. Today's guest is Brandon Boyd. Brandon, to the fans and to the less initiated, uh, is the lead singer of Incubus, amongst other things. 27 years this band has been going. Good gravy. (laughs) Uh, They just released, not too long ago, their eighth album called Eight. And I was thinking, you know, (laughs) Fellini's film Eight and a Half was his ninth movie because it's his ninth movie about sort of a movie creating a movie so it makes sense that their eighth album is eight incubus formed in 1991 by brandon and mike eisinger and they were in school and they started a band and it's interesting about brandon as we ebb into today's subject which we will ebb into directly in a second they started the band but brandon had opportunities to go to art school he had scholarships to attend university it's sort of like an athlete choosing to play minor league baseball versus go to university and study art more formally. He became an artist, a painter. I just received some books of his that are incredible, visual art, published visual art books. Beautiful. The the books themselves are works works of art. <laughs> I'm afraid to open them. I haven't. I just want people to look at them. Anyway, Brandon and Mike 
and Incubus 27 years later. They're doing it. They're doing it well, as they've always done it. Brandon does a lot of things well, and that's the perfect entree into today's subject, which is curiosity. One of the reasons why I wanted to have Brandon on the show is when I see an artist, a thinker, a politician, a chef, a writer, a teacher, a lumberjack, someone who does a lot of different things, I think this is a curious soul. Now, that needs further investigation. Curious souls can be itchy souls, can be incomplete souls, can be critical souls, can be bored souls. Even if they do a lot of things well, Curiosity needs to be looked at in a specific paradigm, and I want to not simply the slightly curious. Oh, I'm kind of curious. I'm talking about people whose motor is about always learning, always reaching out, always understanding, always exploring. Curiosity. Because there are downsides to curiosity, the ones I mentioned, but also there's a sort of commitment phobe about it. <laughs> there's a, I've written 18 screenplays and I'm working on my 19th, you know, how about the first 18? How about one screenplay well? You know, so curiosity can be an alibi for something else. I hate to use the metaphor pregnancy, but it's in or it's out. Oh, that's terrible. No, meaning you are either fully pregnant or you're not pregnant at a certain point. You are curious or you're not curious. There's no such thing as being slightly curious. Slightly curious means you may be curious, but something else is masking it. Curiosity. It's about new things. It may be about taking a class or exploring a new field, exploring a new language. A friend of mine in Brazil, we were talking about the Portuguese language, one of the most beautiful languages ever. Beautiful when sung, especially, I think. She was saying that people learn Portuguese who speak Portuguese in Brazil, Brazilian Portuguese, but they go back and keep learning it because it's such a complex language, you can never stop learning it. Well, that's also one of the trapdoors of curiosity. When does it end? When does it end? When do you get to the bottom of something? When have you reached the accumulation of that which you sought? Maybe you don't ever. Maybe that's why curious souls take on things they can never know enough about. Brandon's done a lot of these. He's he's not only created records with Incubus, he's created other records with other producers. He tried his hand at acting briefly in 2014. He was cast in a production of Jesus Christ Superstar, which never really took off the ground, frankly. But it had a really interesting cast, and I want to see this production some, at some point. It had Michelle Williams. It had Johnny Rotten. Can you imagine Johnny Rotten? Probably as Punctious Pilot in Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> I can see the reason behind that. I'm curious about that. <laughs> so, you know, another thing he's done, which is really along the spectrum of curiosity, is philanthropy. He and his bandmates, I believe early 2000s, started a non-for-profit, a 501c3, called the Make Yourself Foundation. And they've raised millions of dollars for activism, environmental activism, disaster relief, which we're going to need now more than ever, it seems. But that's a curiosity because sometimes when a forward-facing creator with a resume does philanthropy or has a cause, maybe what they say about the cause isn't the most interesting or unique to you, but it can get you curious about the cause. Doing activism, taking sides politically is really interesting because it can spark someone else's curiosity. Is curiosity a function of age? Well, curiosity does have a unique relationship to age. It seems like when we're born. I don't remember when I was born. But if I had to paint a picture with Brandon, I was probably really curious and putting things in my mouth. Because <laughs> that's, you know, without speaking, that's how babies seem to understand the world. Oh, that's my foot. I, or that's something. Let me put it in my mouth. Oh, I guess these are toes. <laughs> they taste good. So when we're born, it seems like we are at the height of curiosity. Then we become teenagers and we know everything. <laughs> then as we get older, you know, it's interesting. We return to curiosity. So curiosity is both environment, but it's also modeling. 
I know Brandon grew up in a very artistic family. His father was an actor. His mother had written. I think his cousin was a flamenco guitarist. (laughs) And his brother was a singer. So the environment and the modeling and watching and observing is part of curiosity. Curiosity. It keeps you limber. It is a lot like exercising. A lot of people go to the gym not to be, you know, competitive, muscular. They go to keep their bodies in motion. Things in motion tend to stay in motion. Curiosity keeps you in motion. It keeps you limber. It has kept Brandon limber. (laughs) Whether it's writing, singing, designing, taking photos, Brandon is someone who stayed limber, who's kept his brain limber, and you have to do that. You ever meet someone and you think, man, you seem really young, or you have a young spirit? I would guess that person is an especially curious person. If we want to relate it to cosmology for a second, I do not study the stars. I do not study horoscopes, but I am curious Every 27 years, they say Saturn returns, and that creates an upheaval. Curiosity is a form of upheaval. I was thinking about Brandon's 27th year. The band was in court at some point. The band left their label. More court. (laughs) Then they were in court again. (laughs) I'm not laughing because they were in court. I'm laughing because that 27th year for Brandon brought a change. And that change can stop you. That change can constipate you. Curiosity, to me, will cure constipation. (laughs) It's the preparation H of life. (laughs) How's that? (laughs) Someone recently asked me, what's your ideal job? I'm still trying to figure that out. But if I locate it closely enough, it's Indiana Jones. (laughs) It's not Harrison Ford. It's Indiana Jones. I mean, think of it. He had a home base where he was teaching at some unknown Gothic college. But then on the weekends and maybe months at a time, (laughs) he was flying along a red line (laughs) to seek artifacts, to seek treasure. And even though I don't think he was motivated by money or killing people or Nazis or rats. No, he didn't mind rats. He hated snakes. Anyway, uh, what you detected in him cinematically, yes. But what you detected in him is a curiosity. He was motivated by the search. He was motivated by the need to know. Curiosity. It's a great attribute. You either have it or you don't. The other night I had a dream, and in the dream, Amy Mann's Wise Up was playing. And I was so fascinated by the fact that it kept rolling around in my dream that I played it all day. (laughs) It didn't unlock anything. But then I thought dreams are curiosity mechanisms. Dreams can inspire curiosity. A curiosity ultimately inspires a pursuit. Right, Junior? (laughs) Curiosity is pass-fail. Do you pass the test of curiosity? Email me, (laughs) murmurradio at (laughs) gmail.com. In the meantime, today we're going to talk about one man's pursuit, one man's pass-fail. It's probably fail-pass. Today on Murmur, Brandon Boyd. Now this. The grail is mine, and you're going to get it for me. Shooting me won't get you anywhere. You know something, Dr. Jones? You're absolutely right. Dad... No! Get back! You can't save him when you're dead. The healing power of the Grail is the only thing that can save your father now. It's time to ask yourself what you believe.
That was a rather scary murmur from the audience there. Can't imagine what that meant. Deep down in the underground, at some spinning round and round, scientists monitor reading. Searching for the holy grail A particle or at least a tail The one that gives the universe its meaning But what if there's nothing No big answer to find What if we're just passing through time No one knows nothing anymore Nobody really knows the score Since nobody knows anything Let's break it down and start again What happens when the markets drop If the numbers really don't add up Everyone seeks a safe haven And as they contemplate their ruin The self-proclaimed smartest people in the room Are trying very hard not to sound craven But what if there's nothing No pot of gold to find Only the blind leading the blind nothing anymore Nobody really knows the score Since nobody knows anything Let's break it down and start again Let's stop pretending we can manage our way out of here Let's stop defending the indefensible Let's stop relying on the hectoring of the experts Whose spin just makes our plight incomprehensible High up on a mountain top Somebody with a skinhead crop is thinking deep thoughts for us all Serenity is all around But if you listen you can hear the sound of one head being banged against a wall well, What if our ancestors had stayed up in the trees we still be weighed down by these worries No one knows nothing anymore Nobody really knows the score Since nobody knows anything Let's break it down and start again Yeah. Stages of knowledge are natural, maybe as natural as air. 
we're born wanting to know everything. When we're older than that, but still young, we think we know everything. And as we get older, it seems like people are 50-50 as to how much they know if they've learned everything. Now, what is the commonality here? To me, it's not knowledge. It's curiosity. It's a lost art. It's our relationship to knowledge. You know, there's a, there's a saying, it's a Buddhist saying, live your life as an experiment. That kept rattling around in my head as I was thinking of today's guest. He once said, I am just as curious, if not more curious now than when I started doing this at the ripe old age of 15 or, or thereabouts. He is a platinum-selling singer, songwriter, designer, painter, photographer, muralist, philanthropist, and a dreamer. He was a young fish fan. To boot, Leonardo DiCaprio is his personal backup singer. The only problem I see here is he has the wrong type of bulldog. Please welcome to Murmur into the Modern School of Film, Professor Brandon Boyd. Hey, Brandon, how are you, man? Hey, Robert. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate that. That's a pleasure. How are you today? I'm well, man. Good morning. I hope this wasn't getting you up too early. Are you an early bird? I am an early bird, yeah. My... Uh my regular clock, usually I'm up around seven, but my dog woke me up about six today. So I'm going to mention that because I don't think you have the right kind of bulldog. Uh, I have an English bulldog. Ah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Frenchies are amazing. Your dog is amazing, by the way. He's, I love him. He's, uh, he's a little bit like a flightless bird at this point in his life. He's, he's very old and he doesn't walk anymore, but he's still oh. just as juicy and lovable as they come. Poor baby. How old is he, if you don't mind me asking? Pushing 14. Okay. That's a long life for a bulldog. I mean, you know this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the pure breeds don't, they usually don't last even that long. So, yeah, yeah. I'm well, happy he's, he's still kicking it. I'm sure he's given more than his any loss would take. That's how I think of my dog. So, yeah. 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 Would you call yourself a curious person? Uh, endlessly curious. So, sometimes it gets me in trouble, but um, <laughs> I'm happy to. Um, bear the brunt of some of the troubles that it brings with it because I personally, curiosity is kind of my personal fountain of youth. It, it, it keeps me, it keeps me fresh. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it interesting how it does have a relationship to infancy in a sense? You know, I always think about yeah. that. If we look at it on a purest level, how young kids and young people, young animals as such are curious. They literally want to know everything. Isn't that what curiosity is? The desire to want to know? Is that too sweet a definition? Absolutely. No, I don't mind that at all. I, I, in fact, I kind of identify with that. There's something about um, a willingness to not have all of the answers, kind of a, approach life um, with a, a an agnosticism of sorts, mm. you know, where you're willing to actually say, I don't know, but then have the the energy and uh, the, I suppose, the audacity to go out and, and try and find out, even though you know ultimately you're never going to reach um, the bottom of the sandbox, so to speak. <laughs> but it doesn't stop you from digging. <laughs> Loads of elementary school metaphors today on Murmur with Brandon Boyd. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that, that, that true, that's sort of, it seems like a truism, you know, as we get older, like teenagers, maybe even plus years, we think we know everything. And to me, that's almost the opposite of curiosity. Did you go through that? Because we need to know something, right? But did you go through a stage mm -hmm. that typical, I know it, I'm bulletproof, I'm, I'm, I'm intellectually bulletproof. Did you go through that? Absolutely. For me, I remember being between 17 and 19, I, I felt uh, a kind of confidence that was probably dangerous. I think it's probably the reason why it's smart for people, especially young men at that age, to like be in school <laughs> off the streets. You know, interesting. Yeah. We do think that we know everything and we feel invincible. And 
we uh, it's I think I read a statistic somewhere that said like the most dangerous human being on the planet are young white males between like 15 and 19 years old mm. <laughs> and that kind of it makes sense to me because you feel invincible you feel uh, infallible and all of those things uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I was thinking of the expression, a little information is a dangerous thing. It's one of my favorites because what it really means is you, you either know everything or know nothing, but it's those people who feel they know a little bit that seem to be the antithesis of, of curiosity. I was also thinking of, you know, the rudiments of curiosity. What, what do you think the chopsticks on the piano are for curiosity? Because curiosity feels like it has no building blocks because it is a building block. But what type yeah. of person leans towards curiosity? That's a really amazing question. Uh, probably, I'm sure everyone's process therein is a little bit different, or depending on who you're asking, yeah, um, yeah. where they are, when they are, uh, it's going to be maybe drastically different. So I can only speak for myself when, when I say that. One of the reasons why I'm continually drawn back either to um, painting or to songwriting, I'll just say art as a sort of larger right. um, umbrella. So right. that includes art, I mean, like, visual art and music just when I think I've reached some semblance of like expertise <laughs> in it, it kind of slips out from between my hands, like uh, a wet bar of soap that I'm trying to hold onto too tightly. Right. And right. Uh, then I find myself, you know, chasing it around the shower and slipping and falling and hitting my head and <laughs> being humbled. So I feel like there's a process for me. It's almost part of my creative process where there's a deep humbling that takes place. And I'll go through all of the stages of almost like <laughs> stages of, of death. You know, there's like, <laughs> there's, the, there's the grieving, there's the denial, there's the anger, there's everything. And, and moving away from the, the death part of it, there's, there's joy, there's feelings of uh, inflated ego. Like, I'm a genius, look what I've created. And then a couple of days later, I'll, I'll listen back at what I've recorded or, or look at something that I've done and feel like I don't deserve anyone's attentions here and it's like I, I go through this whole spectrum and it humbles me it and it reminds me that uh not only is there like this vast vast subjectivity involved which which should humble anyone who's who's part of the process the fact that uh it doesn't matter uh if you are a quote-unquote expert or an accomplished songwriter or a, a worldly celebrated painter someone else could look at it and be like i don't get it mm. and just move right past it. Uh, to me, when people land too firmly in an area where they're able to say to themselves, like, I'm a genius, period, uh, they aren't looking at all of the potential information, all the available information there. That's a super interesting response. Uh, speaking with Brandon Boyd, I was thinking of two things. One is a question, one is a thought. I'll start with the thought. The thought mm -hmm. is Orson Welles was once asked, what's your favorite word? He said, amateur. The derivative of it is love, uh, amateur. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, amateurs, which is a curious format, uh, is comes from love. And I, when I look at you not knowing you, I think you love so much of the different formats because of your curiosity. When I think of languages, Americans don't do well with learning languages. And one of the reasons why I don't think is we don't start early enough and also we're afraid to fail because language, it's like wearing two left shoes. You're going to fail at first. Yeah. Do you think failure is an antithesis of curiosity? And do you think that's what's fighting curiosity now? I absolutely think that there is something there. And once again, I can uh, 
agree with that because I have direct experience with it. And the times when I have felt the most sort of unbridled joy, the most, the, the most purest, pure forms of childlike enjoyment are when uh, I am fearless in right. my attempts. Right. And when I was talking about being humbled, it's like once you're humbled, a lot of people will just become completely risk adverse. And like, I don't want to feel that feeling again because that failure was so devastating. <laughs> I'll do anything. I'll stop being curious. I'm going to stick to these things that I know. For me, what I've found is that um, the more I have a willingness to, to just fuck up, just make bad, bad creative decisions, uh, the more it's like you're increasing your availability for success too. You're, like you said, you're going to fail. You're probably going to fail more times than you're going to succeed. But by learning to fail and being less and less afraid of, of failing, it's not that it inflates your ego. That's like the wrong way of describing it. What it does is it, it just increases your curiosity quotient. It makes the world seem like a bigger place. It's like, wrong, wrong, wrong. There's going to be a ride in here somewhere if I just keep trying. So <laughs> I, I suppose there's a, there's a kind of personality that can endure that. And that's not to say that there haven't been times when the failures have truly wounded me. Um, I think that what I, and I, you know, there have been things that I have failed at that I still struggle with today. And one of them actually, and you mentioned it, is, is love. Like I have failed at love a number of times. I don't think that I'm unique there. I think that it's love is one of those things that's, it's both so simple. It's like, it's, it's inert. It's just in us. If we don't have love, we, we actually die, you know, especially when we're children. Um, it's so uh, necessary in our, in our lives that we're kind of willing to, to keep trying even if we kind of know somewhere deep down inside that we're going to fail again. There have been countless songs written about love and all the different experiences therein. Um, but for me, that's one of those things that I keep going back to the drawing board with. And I'm happy to because the rewards are so limitless. Mm. And it feels like you are sort of walking with the universe when you get it right. You're hitting on something I want to actually get to when we get to door number three, sense of curiosity between people. Because this is, this yeah. is do, you, do you think sure. curiosity, let's look at the bright side of this idea of if we're living in an age where curiosity is under siege, let's say, can curiosity be taught or is it inveterate? Can we teach someone to be a curious soul? In, in a manner of speaking, I think that we can. And, but it's not as simple as I'm going to go, I've never drawn in my life and I'm going to go to art school to become a quote unquote great artist. I don't think it's that sort of linear. I think that what happens is we can provide environments that are conducive to curiosity and to creativity. Um, I've witnessed it with environments that I have created, not only for myself, but for loved ones and watched their curiosity start to blossom. I, I know that for myself because um, I grew up in an environment that was um, my brothers and I had full permission to be creative and to be curious. Um, there were other things in the environment that were hindrances occasionally. And I think that's probably where the individual personality comes in because you could, you, you can provide the, what would be, what could be considered like the perfect environment to um, cultivate a, a creative and a curious person, but that person just doesn't respond to it. And they, you know, they might become 
I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but like a John Wilkes Booth, you know, where they're like a creative actor. Are you saying? I was. You say? Are you saying this because your dad was an actor? <laughs> uh, you know, death to tyrants. <laughs> Taking out the assassination murder part of it. That, honestly, there's that part of the, the human spirit that you can just never really know completely. No, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I, I no, but I, I think you're right that there is an untouch. There's got to be an untouchable essence of humanity, or certain mm. things that contain the untouchable we're speaking with brandon boyd let's go back to the family idea for a second i was thinking about your dad i was also thinking about your mom who wrote books does it need to be modeled beyond the environment do you need to is it is it the things you do that model curiosity well it's the whole nature nurture thing you know it's it's going to be not just the environment but also the the circumstances the the human circumstances that are carried out within it are going to be uh, of huge importance as well, just as much as the actual environment. Yeah. You know, you can, you could set up, like I said, the perfect creative environment and curious environment and then have abusive parents and you, you could create a miserable human being who never wants to paint in their life. You have to factor in what I like to call the Alex P. Keaton effect. Did you ever watch the show? Uh, uh, too much. Family Ties. Yeah. The episode Family of ties, Amphetamines right. is my favorite when he takes amphetamines and can't stop studying. Anyway, go on. Alex, you took one of those pills, didn't you? Nope. Decided not to. <laughs> so, Alex, I can tell. You're completely out of control. Mallory, Mallory, don't be silly. I'm fine. Okay, Mom? Yeah? I was going to give the kitchen floors a quick buffing. <laughs> Where do you keep the wax? <laughs> Never mind. I'll use my hands. <laughs> What is your Alex P. Keaton uh, metaphor of life? What is your philosophy? Oh, I was just going to say that. No, I need this. Uh, I need this. This is an you asset. Can, <laughs> you, can, you can be like the quote-unquote perfect parent. You can set up the perfect uh, progressive politic environment, and you probably have one kid that's going to be a young Republican. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's not like, Tina Others, just, yes. No, no that's yeah. funny. It is funny about that character being a young Republican. He was so antithetical to the liberal, you know, parents, and as you say, or the, the yeah. or and his sister was kind of dumb, and I say that in a gentle way. So it, it's a really, yeah. it, it actually, I'm going to use that in perpetuity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, that's part of the fun part about human beings. You just never know. That being said, um, it's probably a good idea to do a kind of quasi modeling of sorts where we do our very best to create uh, environments that are going to nurture um, young souls and young minds you can't you can't just batter people with this stuff you have to have a kind of like a, a loving distance I think it's like you're setting up loose boundaries so maybe if you're an observant parent and I'm not a parent so an observant friend or an observant lover whatever it's going to be you uh, maybe witness what part of that room, shall we say, uh, switches on the child and makes them become curious. And then you can encourage that area there. And if one doesn't, you're not going to like batter them with what they quote unquote should be doing. And so that's what happened actually in my household. I, my mom was an artist and you know, my dad 
was an actor and an engineer. I remember really briefly a period of time where my dad really wanted my brothers and I to play football. But when we didn't really respond to it and we wanted to surf and skate, he didn't like beat us up with, no, you're going to be a football player. It was like, oh, okay, all right. I'll drive you to the surf contest. And they, so, so it was almost as if um, we weren't doing something wrong by not responding to what they hoped we would go towards. Yeah. So my mom, like I said, was an artist too. And she provided all, she made all of the tools that she had, the paints, the, the, the drawing books, the, the materials, she made them available to us, but she didn't force them on us. Okay, it's time to draw guys. She, it was just like they were there and I just gravitated towards them. And then when she saw that actually, and both my brothers and I too, loved to make a mess with the paints and, and loved to see what we could do with them. She kind of like sat back and I, would, I remember seeing her kind of just glowing like, oh, they like art. This is cool. You were speaking with Brandon Boyd. You know, I, do, I want to talk about your mom for a second though, because you mentioned she was writing a book about Mayan culture. Um, yeah. Did that gain your curiosity? Because then, you know, you've talked about Mayan culture. Was there a transference there of curiosity? Because I think curiosity can be transferred. You know, forget modeling. Yeah. I think environments, I'm checking off a list here. I think you can transfer it. Did, and did that writing of Mayan culture trigger something of a curious nature to you? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I grew up. In, the, in a house where there were uh, like sculptures and tchotchke and all these things that, you know, my parents would go to Mexico and they would bring back these cool things. My mom just loved it. And, you know, part of it is having a, some of the Mexican heritage on her side, but part of it too were, were from some very um, vivid dreams that she had had when she was a young woman. And so her curiosity was piqued around those things. So there were the books, there were the sculptures, there were the stories and all of these different things. And I was curious about it, too, because I saw how curious she was about it. And so to me, it was like, there's something here. And I loved the pictures and I loved the stories. When I went to uh, Tulum for the first time, I went and visited the Mayan ruins and sent pictures to my mom. When I went to uh, the pyramids at uh, Teotihuacan out of, outside of Mexico City, I like FaceTimed with my mom and she was just glowing on the other side of the phone. To oh, see. man, that's amazing. Yeah. I was thinking of passions. People always tell me your passion leads to passion. It seems like curiosity can lead to curiosity. As we get to our midbeat here, I, I want to talk about your your work. Let's start with musicianhood or musiciandom. Ooh. It's funny, and, and not to be the Italian in the room, but there's a there's an underside to curiosity because it, it's not a sexy thing at times. It can be looked at as a frailty, and I'm going to give you some frailtyisms, and you can deflect them. You know, it's funny because the word curiosity, it's old French root were anxiety it was a medical it was a medical anxiety that someone felt and i thought that means you think there's something wrong with that person and curiosity can mean a fear of commitment curiosity could mean itchiness you know curiosity can have a bad footing what do you make of that in the sense that we can look at anyone's career and say oh they started 14 screenplays we don't say oh they were curious about 14 stories they they just don't know what they're doing yeah. Fight, fight that off a little bit. What is the line between curiosity and filling space? If you know what you know what I mean. <laughs> I, it's so interesting. All of even the words that you chose just now in that description, I can relate so deeply to every part of what you just said. Uh, I didn't even know the kind of the, the roots of the word, the anxiety, the itchiness, but I can relate to it. Mm. I I have this thing where I've had to actually learn techniques on how to, I'm not an anxious person. I'm actually a pretty mellow person, but I have a very active mind. 
Mm. If I don't busy it with certain things, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. And there have been times when I've needed to stop for health purposes. And so I needed to learn uh, a way to be able to sit still and let my mind switch off for moments, for lack of a better term. So I, I learned how to meditate. Um, a really interesting side effect kind of started to creep in, which was, it was almost as if the meditating had this effect of clearing out space where I was sort of in my mind constantly, constantly churning, 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 churning. It was like building up noise mm. and it would fill up to the point where I would start to feel frustrated. I would start to feel itchy and I would make lots of stuff as I do. I have like, a, I have a, a pretty high level of output, whether it's good or it's bad is a different story, but <laughs> I, I make a lot of things. But when I started meditating consistently, it was as if it was uh, editing out noise and stuff that didn't need to be there and quite literally creating space for bigger ideas to come through. And uh, so that was kind of a wonderful thing. Mm. Um, my, my curiosity has been one part blessing and I wouldn't go as far as to say one part curse, but there's definitely, uh, it can be burdensome sometimes. It can, it can lead to criticism. And I'm not saying, well, you know, just, just that's to, a part of it for sure. Yeah. And just to go back to your humility, you know, within humility, there's a flagellation. There's, I'm not saying you're a flagellist or a self punisher, but it, it invites the, the deepest form of criticism because you say, am I not studying Japanese because I'm afraid or because am I studying it because I'm bored? You know, it, 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 it rallies a lot of questions. I want to talk yeah. about itch a little bit before. Before we get to our last topic, which I think is a little heavier to, to end with, but I have a couple of bright ideas for you, speaking with Brandon Boyd. You know, I was thinking of itches. I'm not a cosmologist. I'm not a. I'm not an astronomer. I'm not, astronomy it intrigues me. But I was thinking, you know, there's this this idea that every 27 years in one's life, Saturn returns. Now, let's use a colloquial term, an itch. You know, a lot of people have midlife crises at 54. That's 27 times two. I remember when I was 27, my first long-term relationship changed. Changed. I, I was looking at 27 for you, which I believe was 2003. 2003, good God, man, for you guys in the band, that was a hell of a year. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's, and you correct any of the record here. It started with writing. The next year was A Crow Left of the Murderer. There was legal wrangling, Dirk leaving the band. Do you put any stock in that? I mean, not, not, not the stars aligning. I'm just saying, do we go through waves of when we need to change, when we need to upheave, when we need to till? Because your 27th year, dude, was a bitch. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot. A lot. You're, you're, you are not mistaken in that. I remember it was stressful, but I wasn't, I wasn't freaking out. It was more like the, I, I've had an awareness of that whole Saturn Returns idea as well and the churning and the, the right. necessity of shedding skin for a long time. So I kind of was in an, an allowance. I was like, let's just let happen what needs to happen. And all of this stuff went into upheaval. Um, I've found that it's more like every seven years. Seven Year Itch. Yes, a very yeah. famous film. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I've learned to just let it happen, though it can be really scary sometimes. When you let it happen, uh, and sometimes you even encourage it, and you'll even shake the tree yourself a little bit to help encourage some of the, the dead leaves to, to fall off. 
some amazing things happen because once again, you create space. Mm-hmm. You, uh, that's a wonderful thing to allow to happen. I, I'm sure you could take it too far in that direction. You could, you could become a cruel person and shed uh, every person in your life, but I don't want to go that far. I just want to let natural processes take place. Do you think seven years has accelerated in our world? You know, in the sense of, I was thinking seven days. Um, <laughs> and I, I guess the seven day itch. Let's you and I write that screenplay. No, but I, <laughs> but, but I was thinking of, you know, have you ever hit thought of doing something you thought what am I thinking and I'm going to throw you know the bad hypothetical have you ever thought I want to figure out Thai cooking and you thought no I'm just bored have you ever (laughs) have you ever been off on your curiosity calculation all the time (laughs) Uh, and then sometimes they self-correct a perfect example is in 2013 it was either 2013 or 2014 uh, I was offered uh, the part of Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar it was an American arena tour. And my first, my knee-jerk reaction was like, I'm not a Broadway guy. That's not what I do. And then the sort of more information started coming out. It was like, oh yeah, this is actually Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice's production. And here's the thing that they did in UK and Australia. It was a huge hit and it was a really big, beautiful production with all of the right people. And then they started telling me that the people that they had involved, it was like, it was Johnny Rotten. I started to really think about it like, like this is, and, we're, and Incubus was on an indefinite hiatus. And I was like, yes, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yes. And I went through the whole thing for months. I learned the whole show. I went and had a vocal coach for the first time in my life, which wow. was really uh, fascinating. Wow, that's <laughs> I did like six, six months of, of uh, vocal coaching. And we got all the way through to... Um, like the rehearsals in New Orleans, we were like less than a week out from the first show and the whole thing got canceled. And it was kind of, it was kind of gutting because I had really committed myself to it and I had committed an entire summer to it. But then the further away I get from it, and I, I say this in all respect to that production that didn't happen and to Angela Weber because it's such a weird and cool show, but I'm kind of glad it didn't happen. Why? I think it would have been one of those things, like you were saying, where it was like, I'm definitely curious about this. And I was in a period of in my life where I wanted to say yes to more things that I wouldn't normally say yes to. Mm. But that doesn't guarantee success. And it's not success isn't necessarily the the point. But it was, uh, it was definitely a stretch for me. It was a stretch to imagine myself as a Broadway singer, because the Broadway thing is really specific. And they, I think they purposefully brought on people who weren't Broadway singers. But the more I, I, I hear the versions of the Broadway shows that are successful, it's about as far away from the way I know how to sing and emote as I can imagine. It's a unique stage articulation. You're right. I yeah. Mean, and and, and I'm, yeah. I'm an imperfect performer and I, I'm, I'm happy at the way that I know how to sing and I'm, I always want to get better. And I'm happy that I went and did the vocal coaching because it's definitely taught me a lot, especially as my voice has changed into my 40s. But I've learned at this point, being a handful of years away from it, I'm happy that I didn't get kind of like uh, pushed into that direction that, that's an that's an honest uh, uh autopsy of of a moment and and it's, mm. and it's nice and it's rare and i still want to see you and johnny rotten do some scene study 
Maybe you could, I know, right? maybe that, you could do a Sam Shepard play on Broadway. You know, maybe we yeah. could f- figure that out. I, I, w- I want to talk about a couple other things. And Brandon Boyd been uh, generously, but again, his answers are, are are the reason why it's harder to stop this one than usual uh, because there's a, there's a lot of meat on the bone. You know, I was thinking about something you did, which fortifies a theory of mine, and it's a curiosity based theory. The theory is we go to school too early in our lives. <laughs> you know, I hear you and I are of a similar age and generation, and we're curious as hell. And, you know, you went back to school during a hiatus. You know, the guys were doing some other things. And actually, Mike went to Harvard. So, you know, it's cool. It's interesting that you both went to school. Talk a little bit about that. Was there a liberation in that? Or did your ass get tight and think, oh, my God, I'm going back to school? I mean, it's a different discipline. You you were in art art study. But can you recall that? I mean, does that and that's the, the, the real question is, does that stay with you? Because it's easy to forget that moment. And I think it's important to remember Talk a little yeah. bit about going back to school. There was this moment where, as a band, we knew we needed to come off the road for a minute. We've been on the road for a better part of 15 years. And we were dangerously close to feeling kind of like burned. Just, we, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everyone was, was tired of living out of their suitcases for so long. Mikey and I, you know, we, you know, growing up together, we both... We were in so many of the same classes growing up, and we had we shared a lot of the same fascinations. And um, his leaning a little bit more towards uh, science, and mine were leaning more towards the arts. And we were musing at the end of that tour, like, God, what if we? Because we knew we were going to take a break, and it was like, let's go to school. If you go to school, I'll go to school. And <laughs> I was like, Where do you want to go to school? He's like, I want to go to Harvard. And I was like, I don't want to go to Harvard. <laughs> I'm going to go to art school. Um, so we did it. We actually like, we kind of did it right around the same time. And um, Mikey moved to, to Cambridge. He got an apartment there and he really did it. I went to a school that was, I could drive to from my home in Los Angeles. And it was exciting because it really, once again, going back to curiosity, it, um, I picked up where I left off when I left uh, community college after high school. And we all left community college to we got signed and we, we were going to go on tour and there was something really exciting about that but there was also this it was like an unfinished chapter i don't know why but i was fascinated about having a, a degree in in fine arts the interesting thing is that uh i had to start all of my uh credits from community college were um i had to start from ground zero put it that way i had to go back and take all of the classes that i had already taken and uh, it was fun, but then at a certain point, I realized that homework sucks, and uh, <laughs> I was actually learning a lot more in more value in a, in, a, in a way that was more conducive to the to, to my personality and my learning style by actually being on the road. As you said about parents, yeah. teachers can beat the curiosity or systems. I'm not laying this at the feet of anything or homework can beat mm-hmm. the curiosity. There are appendages to curiosity that can weigh it down and turn it into the opposite of curiosity, which is resistance. You know, yeah. we either go towards things or away from things. One, one thing I wanted to end with, yeah. which I which I found really curious, you know, we had Johnny Marr, I was going to say Johnny Rotten, we had Johnny Marr on the show. We had Steve Jones on the show, mm. but we had Johnny Marr on oh, the nice. show. Yeah, we had Johnny Marr on the show. We had... Uh, 
a running mate of yours, a colleague, an LA colleague of yours, uh, Serge Tonkin, on the show. And I was yeah. thinking about polygamy. Mm-hmm. Do you think polygamy is more natural than monogamy? And I mean that, you know, you've worked with other artists, you've worked with yeah. producers on solo projects, as has Serge and Johnny, obviously, textbook. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about your stance on the fact of the inveterate nature of movement and curiosity. Are we more mm-hmm. naturally predisposed to stay in one place artistically with many people, or do you feel like your explorations in other musical corridors has been part and parcel to curiosity? I mean, have you been curious to do more than simply Incubus? Not that there's anything wrong with Incubus. The answer is yes. I um, I have always had a hard time with the idea of picking one love and that being the one love for your whole life. And, you know, in a larger, I suppose, um, universal sense, all of the art stems from a larger version of love. It's all kind of like arms reaching out from a central place. But uh, I agree with you, uh, though I would choose a different word than polygamy. I would uh, call it more uh, polyamory, where it's like many loves. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mm-hmm. reach into creative projects other other than it's a, it's a, a love of curiosity. I, I, I gravitate towards something because it sort of seduces me. It, it, it pulls me in in a very kind of natural, with a natural kind of inertia. And those are the things I usually drift towards. If, I, if I'm being held in a monogamous relationship to music or to art, I would feel constrained. Then mm. I would search for something else. If, if we in our band, if in Incubus we had some uh, law or some ethos that made it so none of us were allowed to do anything else, and which is not uncommon in a lot of bands, if I don't know if you if you talk to other bands, there are some bands where you're not allowed to do other projects. I think it would uh, create a toxicity in that one relationship. That would probably be the end of it. Toxicity, a system of a down record, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking. I think it may have even been Serge. Or jo- it was actually Johnny Marr used the word family. There's some bands like a Rolling Stones that have a kind of family silhouette that it's looked jaundicedly. If Keith Richards joins, you know, uh, the Talking Heads, well, bad example, but if 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 Keith Richards joins, you know, a Fleet Foxes for a week, mm-hmm. you're saying it's a natural disposition to want mm-hmm. to do multiple things. Have you felt the resistance of that? Because fans don't understand it, and I'm not being condescending. Sure. It's the antithesis of being a fan. It's like trading yeah. away your favorite player. Mm-hmm. Do, do you see the double edges of it? Do you see the, Absolutely. the blowback of it? How do you reconcile that blowback? How do you respond to that blowback? I think that there is something to be said for recognizing it, but then lovingly kind of defying it. You, you, there's, there's a way, a nuanced way to kind of do the dance where you do what you feel like you need to do in your process of creativity or your in your search, uh, but also recognizing that it is possible to to sort of spoil the the batch by being too by being a slut. You could like you yeah. just become like a yeah. a music slut, and then and you kind of can you can uh, degrade any a number of things that you're doing. So you have to make wise choices, I believe. But it's a dance, you know, you have to, it's a mixture of like making the right choice here and and doing what you feel like you need to do to feel uh, creatively fulfilled and saying no to the right things and saying yes to the right things and spending enough time with your, the mothership. Um, uh, we call Incubus the mothership in our band because everybody has side projects, but we all honor Incubus as kind of our, if we're going to go back to the, the love metaphor, 
Incubus is the primary. We've created like a constellation around it of projects and everybody has them and it's wonderful. And we're happier in Incubus because we uh, allow each other to go off and have get some strange every once in a while. <laughs> some some uh, like, <laughs> like Eddie Murphy in 48 Hours. Last question and then a goodbye generously with Brandon Boyd. Are you curious about people? Now, before you, I'm, I'm, I'm talking now because I want you to think about this for a second because I want to, and you're not a bullshitter, I want to know bullshit response because I think it's very easy to say I am and, and then act on it in no particular way. And I understand as a public figure, you can't just go and slap backs with everyone in a bar. I get that. But, but are you curious about people? From a larger perspective, uh, this is a complicated question because I, it really depends I suppose, but I'll do my best. Um, I'm interested in humans, you could say. People uh, intimidate me sometimes. I'm definitely curious about people, but I'm more curious in a hopeful sense about humans as a, in, a, in the larger arc of history. I think that we, over the larger arc of history, not right now, right now we're kind of backstepping as a species, but... Um, I'd notice. Over the <laughs> Yeah, over the larger arc of history, I think that we've been moving in a really remarkable direction at a remarkable pace. If you look at it, like if you look at the graphs, you look at the statistics of where we've been and to where we're going, it's pretty phenomenal. And we're, it looks like we're in a rush. When you move down into a more, in the, you know, in a day-to-day sense, um, there are particular people that I am uh, infinitely curious about. And then there are people that I am not as curious about. Am I answering your question? Oh, my God, in spades. And it leads to the last quote. My God, what's wrong with you? Next time we do this, we're going to do this in person, and I'm going to trip you up because I'm I'm having a really difficult time being an Italian today with you. But, you you know, do do you buy, and not because today's subject was curiosity, do you buy curiosity as a form of bomb? And I mean that because I do think if we look at innovation, if we look at talking to people, letting our guards down, uh, uh, listening and talking, all all of the ills, all of the counterweights to humanity that I think we go through, and we've always gone through, but we're going through now, do you think curiosity can be a bomb, you know, to talking and listening, to learning something, to building something? Do you think it's a form of a bomb, not just a private practice, it's something we can implement again to our success? Do you buy that? I think so. To me, it's a kind of creative currency that is invaluable. Curiosity has gotten us in a lot of trouble. For instance, Facebook. (laughs) What an an incredible invention. (laughs) Paper, it's like, it's got everything going for it. And then you look at its true human implementation and the way that we have used this sort of uh, Encyclopedia Galactica of sorts, um, (laughs) or even the internet, like the hitchhiker, the internet to me is the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. And what have we done with it? We have, uh, uh, we're destroying liberal democracy (laughs) as we speak. And it's like, it's real face slappy. So it, you know, there is a, there is a, there is a sharp end to curiosity, but I think ultimately to go back to that kind of, that pull back away from Earth and look down on it as if we're a, a different species. We're still, over the long arc of history, we're moving in the right direction. So I think that what we're experiencing now culturally and the, these weird hiccups and back steps are really going to be um, mere speed bumps. 
I hope. Let's get joint tattoos. I want a new tattoo for you. I want the symbol for curiosity. Because as you say, it's open-ended. And like all things, the good news and the bad news are usually the same thing. Hey, man, thank thank you so much. You are as eloquent as uh, an artist as I've come across. And that's neither good nor bad. That just is. Thank you so much, man. And and next time we do this, let's do this uh, face-to-face. All best to you and your work and your beautiful dog as you move through uh, life. Thank you so much, man. Great to talk to you. Take care, Brandon. Bye. I want to thank Brandon Boyd for being here with us today on Murmur. Wow. I want to thank you for being here with us today on Murmur. But you could be with us anytime. Had you seen that yet? (laughs) Download the show, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Go to the website, murmurradio.com, at MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram. If you have a subject you would like me to match with a guest, Email me directly, murmurradio at gmail.com. I may bring you on the show. I may not bring you on the show. It really depends how curious you are. Screw your courage. Be curious. (laughs) See ya.